When elephants clash, smaller animals do well to move out of the way. Well, where do we go when planet Earth is left in rubble? The Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962 nearly brought the world to the unthinkable, a nuclear exchange between the United States and the Soviet Union. In popular parlance, Armageddon. Although it was understood during those 13 tense days of October that it was a close call, what we know today is enough to send chills through the spine of the most calloused individual. The well-being of the entire world, including here in Canada, was at stake. Any conflict between the United States and Soviet Union likely would have occurred with Canada as an essential battleground. Now, decades later, we know the truth about just how close we came to the end of the world as we know it. On today's Tomorrow's World program, I'll reveal to many of you for the first time just how close we came. And it was a lot closer than we knew at the time. In addition, we'll see that there have been far more nuclear near misses than are generally known. I'll also be offering a free resource, Armageddon and Beyond that shows a nuclear holocaust is no fiction, but also that there is good news for our future. I'll be right back with the shocking details, so don't go away. Welcome to Tomorrow's World, where we hold out the hope for a better world. But we also don't shy away from today's reality, and the facts are that there are far more dangers than many realize. The Cuban Missile Crisis is ancient history to most people alive today. After all, October 1962 was nearly six decades ago, and anyone under the age of 70 was a mere 13 years old or younger at the time. Therefore, that is ancient history to younger generations. So how can we blame younger generations for lacking understanding of events for which they were never taught and have no context? They simply don't know how close we came to disaster. Some of you may remember how Fidel Castro and his Cuban revolutionaries were praised for overthrowing the Batista regime. But to the dismay of the West, he declared his allegiance to communism and the Soviet Union. A potential enemy only 90 miles away created a problem for the United States, and only the naive would think that this would have no effect on Canada. The crisis began with Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev secretly moving more than 41,000 troops into Cuba between July and October 1962. More troubling was the discovery that Khrushchev had also ordered medium and intermediate range missiles with nuclear weapons capable of reaching New York, Toronto, and Dallas. That was a bridge too far and a direct challenge to John F. Kennedy, the young American president. In his address to the nation, he described the enormity of the situation. We no longer live in a world for only the actual firing of weapons represents a sufficient challenge to a nation's security to constitute maximum peril. Nuclear weapons are so destructive 
and ballistic missiles are so swift that any substantially increased possibility of their use or any sudden change in their deployment may well be regarded as a definite threat to peace. Kennedy consulted with top military brass and advisors and chose what history shows was the wise response to this definite threat to peace, to quarantine Cuba. That was a word used to avoid the word blockade, which would amount to a declaration of war. Most of this was known to anyone observing these events at the time, but there was far more going on under the surface that would only come to light decades later after formerly top secret documents were declassified. Only then would we know how close a call it was. Even today, most people are unaware of the revealed facts. As the crisis unfolded, the Soviet Union sent four submarines to the waters around Cuba. One of them, submarine B-59, was intercepted by the American Navy on October 27th. It was surrounded and small depth charges like hand grenades, not designed to destroy a sub, but to give a warning, were dropped to force it to the surface. Those on the receiving end had a different view from that which was intended. But what the United States did not know at the time was that B-59 was carrying two nuclear-tipped torpedoes, each of which carried about two-thirds the explosive power of the Hiroshima A-bomb, enough to take out much of the nearby United States fleet. Conditions aboard the submarine were already uncomfortable with high temperatures of 38 degrees Celsius, and carbon dioxide buildup contributed to foggy thinking. Further, having been below the surface and out of communication with Moscow for so long, those aboard B-59 had no idea what was going on above them. Officers wondered, had war between the superpowers already begun? This was a real possibility. And what happened next is bone-chilling in retrospect. Vadim Orlov, an intelligence officer aboard the submarine, recalled how the American ships surrounded us and started to tighten the circle, practicing attacks and dropping depth charges. They exploded right next to the hull. It felt like you were sitting in a metal barrel, which somebody is constantly blasting with a sledgehammer. Orlov remembered Captain Valentin Savitsky shouting, We're going to blast them now. We will die, but we will sink them all. We will not disgrace our Navy. Political officer Ivan Simonovich Maslenikov agreed that they should launch the torpedo. But there is much more to the story. Had they done so, you and I may not be here to know about this. While few, if any, of us were on that fleet, the aftermath would touch us all. Our world would be vastly different than it is today. How different? Well, that's the rest of the story that has been kept secret. I'll give you what has only been revealed in recent times in a moment. But first, I want to offer you our resource, Armageddon and Beyond. You need to know what to expect for your future and how you and your family may escape. There is good news, and you need to know what it is. Armageddon and beyond can be yours absolutely free for the asking. 
All you have to do is call and let us know you want it. It's that simple. And we don't sell your personal information to anyone. So call for Armageddon and beyond. And I'll be right back to tell you the rest of the very chilling story. Let me tell you how you can get your free copy of Armageddon and Beyond. Simply dial the number on your screen and you can also order at TWCanada.org. We're happy to send you this at no cost because we believe this information to be invaluable. Many are familiar with the biblical term Armageddon, but few actually know the single event it refers to, let alone the inspiring truth of what lies beyond Armageddon. Don't wait. Call today or order online. If you missed our contact information, don't worry, I'll be back to give it again. It was October 27, 1962, during the two-week standoff between the two superpowers when the Soviets moved nuclear weapons into Cuba. A Soviet submarine was detected trying to get through the American quarantine of Cuba, and the captain of B-59 and another high-ranking official were ready to launch a nuclear-tipped torpedo into the U.S. naval fleet. Before the break, I said I would reveal the rest of the story. What is generally unknown and only revealed with the release of documents decades later was a planned American response had that torpedo been launched. Americans, Canadians, and for that matter, the whole world were in the dark during those years about the overwhelming superiority the United States had in nuclear weapons and the means to deliver them. According to physicist Pavel Podvig, Soviet bombers at the time could deliver about 270 nuclear weapons to U.S. territory. By contrast, the United States had thousands of warheads that it could deliver via 1,576 Strategic Air Command bombers, as well as 183 Atlas and Titan Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, or ICBMs, 144 Polaris missiles via nine nuclear submarines, and 10 newly built Minuteman ICBMs. To add to the horror, each of those Atlas, Titan, and Minuteman missiles could carry multiple nuclear devices that would be independently targeted. President Kennedy's predecessor, Dwight Eisenhower, understood war only too well and tried during his presidency to hold the line on the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Nevertheless, the U.S. nuclear arsenal grew massively during his eight years in office. He also believed that there would never be a limited nuclear exchange. Once one bomb went off, it would quickly escalate. Therefore, Eisenhower commissioned his generals to put together a single integrated operational plan, or PSYOP. A top secret report was declassified in 2011 regarding PSYOP as it existed in 1962. Estimates of those killed by such a massive response were 212 million in the USSR and China, with an additional 4.4 million in Poland and other Eastern European countries who were under the rule of the Soviet Union. Radioactivity would no doubt take multiple millions of lives in the aftermath. Perhaps the reason one report estimated a figure as high as 600 million. This does not include millions of casualties inflicted on the free world 
and although perhaps a less overwhelming response, anyone who thinks the Soviet planners were any more civilized is naive. If mankind can think and put into place contingency plans in these terms, such mass destruction is not out of the question. These casualty figures are shocking, but even more so when considering that world population in the early 1960s was just over 3 billion, significantly less than the 7.7 .7 billion in 2019. In 1960s terms, when considering losses on both sides and all their allies, along with deaths from resulting radiation poisoning, it would not be unreasonable to believe that one-fourth to one-third of mankind would perish from the earth. So what was it that prevented nuclear Armageddon in 1962? As we've seen, Soviet submarine B-59 was in the dark as to the state of the world above the waves. The U.S. Navy was signaling with small depth charges for the Russians to surface. But Soviet Captain Savitsky and political officer Maslenikov, thinking they were under attack and war may have already begun between the superpowers, agreed to launch a nuclear-tipped torpedo. What stopped them? The Soviet Union was as worried as the United States about an accidental nuclear war. Therefore, their protocol required three assenting voices, and as explained in AtomicHeritage.org, the last remaining officer, Second Captain Vasily Alexandrovich Arkhipov, dissented. They did not know for sure that the ship was under attack, he argued. Why not surface and then await orders from Moscow? In the end, Arkhipov's view prevailed. That is how close we came. The patient wisdom and courage of one man prevented a nuclear Armageddon. But these are only a few Cold War near misses involving nuclear weapons. We live in a far more dangerous world than most realize. And I'll be back in a moment to share with you other previously classified documents which detail numerous occasions when the world narrowly escaped catastrophe. But first I want to tell you about today's free offer. By the end of this program, I think you will see that Armageddon is not so remote. It can happen. And our resource, Armageddon and Beyond, explains that it will happen. But it also presents good news. Mankind will not destroy all life from planet Earth. You need that good news. So pick up the phone and order your free copy of Armageddon and Beyond. And I'll be right back to share shocking revelations from newly released documents. If you would like to know what lies ahead for us, call the number on your screen and ask for Armageddon and Beyond, or order online at twcanada.org. Have you ever asked where is the world headed? What does the future hold for me? Or if morality even matters anymore? Tomorrow's World Magazine answers these questions and more, and will also be sent to you free of charge. Call us right now or visit us online to get your free copy of Armageddon and Beyond and Tomorrow's World Magazine. Enjoy the rest of today's program. In October 1962, the world stood at the precipice of Armageddon. Calamity was narrowly averted, 
But this would not be the last brush with nuclear disaster. Classified documents released in recent years fill in details of other near catastrophes. Broken Arrow is a military code used for an accidental event that involves a nuclear weapon or components thereof. An April 6, 2019 report revealed the United States and the Soviet Union have had 32 admitted Broken Arrow incidents. In six of them, weapons were lost and never found or deliberately left undisturbed. Most of these involved U.S. weapons, but since the Soviet Union is much more secretive about such things, it is almost certain that there were more. These incidents took place in British Columbia, Quebec, England, Spain, and not a few states south of the border. The first broken arrow occurred on February the 14th, 1950 when a U.S. Convair B-36 en route from Isleson Air Force Base near Fairbanks, Alaska to Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth, Texas, crashed in northern British Columbia after jettisoning a Mark IV nuclear bomb into the Pacific Ocean. The bomb was not found, and it contained a substantial amount of natural uranium plus 5,000 pounds, or 2,300 kilograms, of high explosives. According to the U.S. Air Force, the bomb didn't contain the plutonium core necessary for a nuclear detonation. This was the first loss of a nuclear weapon in history. One more incident stands out to me personally. It was at an air base in England that occurred shortly before my family was transferred there. On July 27, 1956, a U.S. B-47 bomber was on a training exercise when it crashed into a nuclear weapons storage facility at Lake and Heath Air Base in Suffolk, England. The entire crew of the aircraft was killed. Known as an igloo storage facility, it contained three Mark VI nuclear bombs, one of whose detonators had been sheared off in the accident. Investigators concluded that it was a miracle that the bomb hadn't exploded. Since the end of World War II, mankind has gambled with Armageddon. What if one of the broken arrows, or whatever other nuclear power calls them, detonates by accident near enemy territory? While the Cold War has passed, the proliferation of nuclear weapons has continued. Nine nations now possess these horrifying weapons, and each addition to the nuclear club increases the chance of disaster. What if some state foolishly detonates a weapon against a foe? Will it start a chain reaction that could imperil human life? According to the Bible and according to Jesus Christ, global conflict will threaten all life, except that God will intervene. Yes, there is a crisis coming such as the world has never known, as it tells us in Matthew 24 and verse 22. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Will Armageddon involve nuclear weapons? Probably. But what other weapons are out there that we don't even know about? We cannot deny that there are difficult days ahead. But the fact is that most of us have far greater concerns than fearing an immediate nuclear Armageddon.
As with all my generation and those on either side of it, we lived in the mushroom cloud's shadow, some of us more than others. My friends and I grew up on strategic air command bases where we understood in case of war, we were sitting at ground zero. We had our personal nightmares, but rarely shared them. It might surprise you, but Bible prophecy was a comfort for me, and it remains so for many who understand it. During the Cuban Missile Crisis, I understood there was nothing to worry about, and despite Soviet sub B-59, that assessment was correct. Yes, it was a tense and critical time when one mistake could have blown the world apart. But according to the Bible, it wasn't God's time or place. Now you might ask, how can I say that? Some people bring up Jesus' statement in Matthew 24, 36 that says, But of that day and hour no one knows, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now that's certainly true. We cannot even predict at this point the year. But this passage in no way negates literally dozens of scriptures that show certain events must take place first. In fact, this very scripture is taken out of context where it shows that we can know the approximate time. Notice what it says a few verses earlier. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very doors. Knowing what is ahead, both the bad news and the good news, gives peace of mind. Without regard for some awful things on the horizon, those who understand biblical prophecy can have peace and comfort. There is a way to escape Armageddon. Even more importantly, there is the realization that although we will all die, eternal life is offered to us as Jesus promised. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he asked the woman he was speaking to a question that equally applies to you and me. Do you believe this? It behooves each of us to know why we were born. Life is precious and precarious far more resilient than we think at times, but far more fragile in the overall picture. We're temporary and life is short. There is a God and He gives us the opportunity to live forever. He's evaluating the decisions that we make, whether we love Him with all our heart, mind, and being, or whether we follow the crowd and fear man more than God. How amazing it is that so few spend any time searching to prove that God really is, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, and what His purpose is for mankind. It seems that most are more interested in what is on television tonight, or whether my team will win this weekend. If you want to understand more of what is prophesied for the last days, call, write, or go to our website to order our booklet, Armageddon and Beyond. Everything we have to offer is, of course, sent free of charge, and we don't sell your contact information to anyone. We never have, and we never will.
To learn more about future events that will affect you and your family, continue to watch Tomorrow's World, where Stuart Wahovich, Michael Haycoop, and I will bring you more information about today's issues and the glorious hope of tomorrow's world. Now be sure to stay tuned to TW Answers. To learn more, visit www.twcanada.org. You can also request today's offer by calling us at 1-866-784-7895 or by writing to Tomorrow's World, PO Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M 0P6. Welcome to Tomorrow's World Answers. The future return of Jesus Christ is one of the most fascinating and anticipated events in Bible prophecy. There are countless speculations as to when he might return. Some believe that his return could occur at any moment, even before the end of this short video. Could Christ return at any time? Two scriptures are often used to support this line of reasoning. The first is found in Matthew 24 and verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Another compares the second coming of Jesus Christ to a thief coming in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. It is always important that we recognize the context in which scriptures are given. Matthew 24 contains what is often referred to as the Olivet Prophecy. This was an outline of end-time events given from the mouth of Jesus himself as he stood overlooking the temple and a large portion of the city of Jerusalem. This prophecy foretells a rise in false Christianity, large-scale wars, famine, disease epidemics, earthquakes, and the establishment of the abomination of desolation. While some claim that this prophecy was fulfilled with the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in AD 70, Jesus was answering a direct question from his disciples concerning his return. Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? The book of Revelation contains many parallels to Matthew 24. Revelation goes on to describe two witnesses who will do a powerful work in Jerusalem just prior to the return of Christ. They will operate at a time when Jerusalem is under complete Gentile control. Revelation 11 verses 1 and 2. Verse 3 tells us the length of their task. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Their work will occur over a three and one half year time period. Since Jerusalem is not under outside control, and these two witnesses are not operating, you can rest assured that Christ will not return prior to the end of this video, or at least for the next several years. But what do we make of the statement that Christ will return as a thief in the night, with a great element of surprise? Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. While we do not yet know the day or the hour, those with an understanding of Bible prophecy will recognize the signs of His coming and know that the hour has drawn near. Then, as we see predicted end-of-the-age events occurring, we will be able to have a much better understanding of how close we are to the time of his return. To submit a question for the show, email us at twanswers at tomorrowsworld.org. Be sure to watch us online by searching Tomorrow's World Answers on YouTube. If you like our videos, be sure to subscribe and click the notification bell. You can visit us online at twcanada.org. 
With this offer, you will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for living a successful life while providing insight into current and future events. You can watch this and many more Tomorrow's World telecasts at our website or by subscribing to Tomorrow's World on YouTube. Visit us online or call 1-866-784-7895. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.